on this episode of AV Week, how Zoom handled a discovered vulnerability. Biamp buys the parent company of community loudspeakers and creating AV standards for your campus. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 412, recorded Friday, July 12, 2019. Group Security. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by AV Pro Edge, manufacturer of next level video distribution solutions. And by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, from all across the pond in Germany, is Patrick Murray from Catch Technologies. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim. You know, it's pretty late at night here on a Friday, so I, don't, I hope you don't mind if I uh, let my hair down a little bit. Oh, wow. He's already breaking into the beer, which, you know, here in the States... At least for me, it's 1.15. Uh, for Paul, our other guest, Paul Konikowski, uh, it's it's 2.15. So uh, how are you, yeah. Paul? It's still coffee time here. For, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still going on the caffeine. I'm doing well. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, you and me both. So, yeah, Patrick, we should, this should be an interesting one. Um, so as, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the old saying goes, you know, man plans and God laughs. We send out our stories on Tuesdays, and as, as luck would have it this week, holy cow, all sorts of things happened between Tuesday and today, the Friday that we're recording. So uh, we're throwing out a couple of things and things that have happened in, let's just say, the last 48 hours. First and foremost, uh, press release from our, our, our friends over at Biamp, who Biamp is, is, is an underwriter of Aviation. Biamp, quote unquote, a leading supplier of professional audio and video solutions based in Beaverton, Oregon, today announced the acquisition of Audio Prof Group, international parent company of community loudspeakers and Apart Audio. I'm going to be really quick on this. Basically, Biamp just bought community loudspeakers. Yes, they bought a, a, a group and then they bought Apart, which is a, it's a great company as well. But the, the, the real part here and the, the, the thing that really kind of got me is the fact that Biamp now owns community loudspeakers. And in an email to uh, some of their partners, uh, Rashid Skaf, uh sent out uh, also this week in, in kind of conjunction with this, um, quote unquote, not long after I assumed leadership of Biamp, I declared my intent to build Biamp into a full range provider of professional audiovisual solutions, building on Biamp's heritage, designing industry, leading audio processors, and this combination is a huge step to reaching that goal. Uh, Patrick, I'm going to start with you on this. Rashid and his entire team from Highland Partners, who is the, the, the investment behind him, uh, made no bones about the fact that they're looking, they, they, they bought Biamp to turn it into a, an AV giant. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be uh, poetic when, in saying that. And I'm not trying to say, you know, um, uh, predict anything here, but they were very, very clear that this was not their last purchase. And when they purchased uh, Cambridge Audio, that wasn't their last purchase and, and all the other ones that they've made. But this one adds, adds um, a, a whole lot of umph to the, the Biamp uh, brand and the, and the Biamp offering. So Patrick, what, what does this next step, this step here, 
say about Biamp and about Rashid and his team's commitment to building Biamp and, and, and that group into a major player? I, I really like this strategy in this because obviously the trend is for these larger manufacturers to have a complete product line that does everything. And we've seen it over and over over the years. And uh, in the beginning, it was like, oh, when are you going to make loudspeakers? When are you going to make a display? And then all of a sudden, these manufacturers started making loudspeakers. But I think in this case, it's a really nice move because they didn't just make a loudspeaker and put their name on it they're buying a brand that already has a great reputation in that space. And I think that's just a really uh, powerful and clever way to build out a product line. Paula, is that the key here that the fact that they didn't just, you know, purchase a, a speaker factory, right? Or they, they had somebody else white label a, a buy amp quote unquote speaker. They purchased a brand that had longevity, that, that had a heritage similar to, you know, the, the, the heritage that buy amp already had. So uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of companies have done kind of what you said, where they just OEM a speaker and slap their name on it, and often ceiling speakers, that sort of thing. But community has always been known for larger format. They've, they've been kind of been known on the more economical side of PA systems, but they definitely have a large market share in terms of outdoor speakers, stadium, high school stadium type stuff. Uh, I've used their emphasis columns. Uh, which really fit that that price and performance spot. So to me, this was a, a very smart move by them, uh, by both sides, because Biamp really has earned uh, a great reputation in the industry. And uh, so now it, it turns into a bit more of a one-stop shop. And they can think about, you know, pairing their speakers with their DSP systems, uh, that sort of thing. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of Dante or ABB integration may come along, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think it's a great move. Patrick, one of the things that uh, both Rashid said in, in the press and in other places was that they were not looking to pull back on what community has already been known for, meaning that they're not going to go away from, as Paul said, the, the large venue stuff. Uh, they're going to they're gonna kind of double down on that. But where else do you see Biamp leveraging the intellectual properties, the IP that community has into getting into other areas? Well, audio isn't really my main strength, but you could really imagine taking that technology and and putting it in in the conference room. That's really uh, the biggest area where we're seeing the most growth lately is just ceiling speakers in conference rooms. And um, kind of like what Paul was saying, how are you going to integrate that entire thing from, from the microphone to the speaker with the DSP in the middle? some kind of a configurable system is, is pretty easy to imagine. Using Dante, just having Dante everywhere, everything's on the network, just making it really simple to integrate all these different parts and, uh, and get them up and running. And that can be applied in, yeah, all different markets. Absolutely. All right, guys, uh, next story here comes to us uh, from Medium. Uh, this may be the second time in, in a couple of weeks we've had a story from Medium. There's a zero-day, Zoom zero-day uh, exploit um, from Medium and, and Jonathan uh, Lucic uh, from uh, running an, an InfoSec write-ups. A vulnerability, quote-unquote, in the Mac Zoom client allows any malicious website to enable your camera without your permission. The flaw potentially exposes up to 750,000 companies around the world that use Zoom to conduct day-to-day -day business. Um, Eric Yon from, from, um, 
from Zoom did comment on this and said they, they are working on it on, on a uh, patch for this and, and to uh, you know, uh, update the server uh, software, update the, the, the privacy and update the security. Another exploit though, or another issue, I guess, it's not even necessarily an exploit, is the fact that specifically on Macs, if you had already, if you had ins installed Zoom and went through the process to uninstall it, there was still a, a piece of software that was still on your computer um, in, even though you had uninstalled it. Um, so Paul, we're gonna start with you on this. Zoom is, has become the 600 pound gorilla when it comes to soft codec uh, VC. You could even argue the fact that they had be, that they've become the, one of the more dominant players in video conferencing period, regardless of hardware or software based. What does this do to both you know the, the perception of Zoom in the marketplace, but also to you know integrators that are you know putting this, these systems in day in and day out and building you know a business on this? Um, I think I, I think it's a wake up call for businesses in terms of Zoom and and their perception. Uh, the story really developed as the week went on, and um, I, I followed it pretty closely my, myself. So you're right that that this was announced on on Monday, and and Zoom came back and and said, oh well, that's that's sort of a feature of ours, you know. Um, and then it, it really escalated on Monday uh, and Tuesday. A lot of security researchers got really upset about it. So Eric got on a call on Tuesday with with the researcher and other people and said, okay, we're really gonna take this seriously. And they issued a patch that um, removes that second piece of software, which is a local web uh, server uh, on their machine and really changed their, their tune about it. And, and so their initial reaction to it wasn't great. They, they kind of just brushed it off and they, they, they said it wasn't a big deal. Other people are doing this too, which I'm, I'm still not sure what other companies are doing that, but curious to look into that a little bit more but it, it really did escalate so first they they issued a patch to to handle there's a denial of service vulnerability also that was issued uh in um in in may i believe or, or june and then they issued a patch to to fix to fix the uh uh the that took out the web server and then it, it just continued to to snowball and they they uh, they actually worked with Apple. I don't know if you heard about this part. Apple uh, got wind of this and worked with Zoom, and they issued their own update to uh, to their operating system that would take out this web server. So if you didn't bother to update your Zoom software to take out this web server aspect, then Apple then basically pushed an update that did, and so it really turned into a much much bigger deal. And yet by the end of the week, by the time the smoke clears, Zoom actually looked okay, you know, in, in my eyes, because although they didn't handle it well initially, they, they kind of uh, blew off some of the research. And, and I guess they asked the researcher to sign a, a, a non-disclosure agreement in, in exchange for a bug bounty for finding this, you know, so, so they could just sort of fix it themselves and they wouldn't hear about it. He turned it down. Um, so... Uh, you know, he disclosed it on on Monday, and and the cybersecurity world erupted about it. And so Zoom suddenly realized that they had made a big mistake in doing that. And they they've done a bunch of um, each day something new has come out. So uh, if you kind of circle back to the Zoom press releases and Eric Wan's uh, um, blog post about it, 
uh, he he's really done a lot to update it, and and, he, and it's still continuing. This weekend, they're now pushing another pre-release uh, update to their software that uh, I believe it disables video by default because basically the the vulnerability was that when someone sends you a Zoom link that and you clicked it. It, it would automatically start your video, just like today when I joined this call, you guys saw me before I was even dialed in on audio. And so they're they're going to be disabling that and um, some other, you know, join by, you know, auto join features. And they're also making it easier to uninstall Zoom so you don't have to hunt around through your computer and, and look for it. And when it does uninstall, it'll take out that uh, that web server if you still have it, basically. So uh, it's still developing, it's still happening. And um, in general, I think it it did cause a lot of alarm for the industry to say, hey, wait a second, uh, you know, is this stuff safe and what else is possible? So I, I've seen a number of people react, in, you know, companies that I'm working for put out statements. And I actually saw something from LifeSize that came out that was, touting their security and saying Zoom put, put uh, uh, they, that they put uh, convenience over security, which I thought was ironic because LifeSize themselves had a vulnerability discovered not yeah. that long ago, and, uh, and they, they, they actually just sort of ignored it. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it, it's a, it's a wake-up call in a lot of ways. But in the end, they they realized what they what they had done wrong and started to take it seriously. It, it's a, I, I saw the the, the same uh, uh, piece from from Life Size, and that's a dangerous thing uh, to to start you know touting your your own uh, security prowess. Because I will I will go back to Teresa Payton, a fabulous, incredible uh, security. Um, Expert, uh, she was the first CTO of, of the White House under uh, under uh, uh, Bush too. She made the statement. She said that it's not a question of if; the question is when you'll get hacked. Um, right. And I'm not I'm not saying that Zoom didn't do anything wrong. We we can debate that back and forth. But I, real quickly about about life size, it's not a question of if; it's a question of when you'll get hacked. So yes, certainly tout your own um, your own security processes. But don't fling mud when your competitor is down because, dude, I'm telling you, it, it, it's not a question of if you're going to get knocked down too, right? Uh, and it's just a question of, of how you handle it. Um, so, Mr. Murray, uh, where does this put, I guess, soft codecs in general when it comes to uh, the security world and, and making sure that these, these systems that folks are putting in uh, pretty much every day in conference rooms and huddle spaces are secure? Well, personally, I'm heartbroken. I'm a big fan of Zoom. I love the founder's story, and he's a very approachable person. Um, so I was kind of heartbroken. I think you have to look at the use case, though. Uh, for an installed system, I don't think that it's that bad. I feel more um, betrayed on my laptop, to be honest. So I've got a, a laptop um, installation, and I didn't think it was a big deal when people said you could turn your camera on because... The app comes to the foreground. You can see that your thing is on. If you don't like that, there's a setting to undo it. If you know a lot of users complain about that, then the dev team can, can address that. But there are these gray areas where you're not sure and you can't know 
what people want, what's really secure, where you do sacrifice, maybe a little bit just to improve that experience. But what really got to me is if I uninstall an application, I am opting out completely. And to leave a web server running on my machine, that kind of crosses a line for me. And uh, it's just disappointing. And I think, you know, as a software, so this is all about software and, and how companies operate with software. And it's really important to have a culture where those lines are drawn. And if it is a gray line, just to have some really serious discussions about it so that when that call comes, it doesn't get blown off. Oh, we've talked about this. Let's look at our notes. Because there are these gray areas where you're not sure if it's the right thing to do. Um, obviously, if I uninstall something and you still leave software running on my computer, that's crossing a line. But if you maybe use an image to get around this uh, cores thing in the browser that they did, that was definitely going around a security mechanism in the browser, but it was kind of a gray area and it definitely improved the user experience. So I think that the culture of software companies is interesting and in how they handle these things. But the other takeaway is, like Paul pointed out, on Monday, this was a real crisis and by Friday, everybody was looking nice. And the reason that was is because it's software and you have that capability to update your entire fleet of devices, as it were, or applications. Um, you just start it up and you see there's an update available and you're up and running again. So uh, these things will happen. This will not be the last story like this, but that does not mean that software is over. It's just too powerful and it provides too much convenience. Um, but the key is really have a plan in place to keep everything up to date. And that's something where we really need to learn a lot in AV is how to remotely update our systems. Paul, I want to come back to you for a second because I, I, I have a different. I think I have a different opinion or a different take on this. You, you said that um, you, you had an issue with with, and maybe I misunderstood, but you, it sounded like you said you had an issue with um, Zoom offering kind of the bug bounty and the NDA to the researcher who who, who grabbed that. Um, is there a reason why companies shouldn't try to? Keep ex exploits under the covers and, and, and fix them. Absolutely fix them, but not make them um, uh, known to bad actors who might go after not just them again with a similar exploit, but go looking at their competitors and saying, "Oh, well, maybe they have this exploit." Is is there some some wisdom there, or or should we be one hundred percent transparent one hundred percent of the time? Great, great question, Tim. Um, there's basically three approaches to uh, disclosures. One is you just let let the cat out of the bag. Uh, uh, the other one is is you um, give the company some time uh, and let them know. It's called the responsible disclosure. And then the other one is you just don't tell anybody about it and and you just keep it quiet. And the latter is what Zoom was. It sounds like what they were trying to do. They saw this as a feature and that they had put in and so they their their non-disclosure agreement basically told this individual that you can't you can't tell anybody else about this we'll pay you some money but but you're you're just you know you're you can't talk about it and the reason why you want to to tell people about it in a responsible manner you want to give the company let's say 90 days to come up with a patch and release it but the reason is is that like you said other companies may have similar vulnerabilities 
and you need to learn from each other. And so it's, if you put the vulnerability out there, then yes, the bad guys do have access to it, but the good guys have access to it too. And if everyone has access to it, then it can be addressed. And so you're taking, it's sort of a double-edged sword, but I'm definitely on the side of disclosure and, and public knowledge and sharing that information uh, rather than the side of let's keep it quiet and not tell anyone because it, the other assumption that you're, that, that you're making and saying, well, maybe we shouldn't tell the, the bad actors, they may already know about this. Um, and you don't know, you don't know who already knows about it. And then you start to say, well, is it really a vulnerability? I mean, what, so what if someone can, can launch a Zoom thing? Well, if, I have a, if I've got an email signature that has one of those banners at the bottom that says click here to learn about collaboration products or something, right? And it opens up a web page or a white paper, who knows? But what if at the same time it launches my video, you know, and I don't see the app turn on because it's behind a new browser screen. Uh, and, and there was, there's another vulnerability to it where people could then, you know, send out a video link uh, and uh, to, to millions of people. There's websites that are set up for this. And all of a sudden, you're getting calls from all around the world trying to get into your system, which denies, it's called the denial of service attack. So there's definitely a value in sharing the vulnerability. Like, I, I can't say that loud enough, although it does put a little bit of shame on the folks that do it. The security uh, community has said over and over again that this this stuff needs to be announced. And I, I don't I don't know how many bug bounty programs are in AV right now. Zoom is refining theirs, by the way, because of this incident, because of the the, the slack they got because of it. Um, they are now doing a public facing bug bounty program, whereas before it was the private thing. You know, if someone contacted them. They said, oh, by the way, we have a bug bounty program. We want you to join. Um, but now they're going to be revising that and making it much more public and making the rewards more public. So um, to me, that that's the much better approach to take and then work with the researcher about disclosure and say, okay, if you accept this by bounty program, we'll let you talk about it, but we want to review what you're going to release. You know, we, 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 and, and please give us, you know, 90 days, 180 days or whatever it is to address it. And to put out this release and let everyone know before you, you release, that's called the responsible disclosure. And that's really the way to go about it. You know, sometimes I heard when the, when the Crestron, I believe it was, or AMX vulnerability came in a couple of years ago, somebody used the word um, uh, ex extortion or something like that, 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 the, that, that, that the researcher was trying to blackmail them by asking for money. This is valuable information and the question is, is do you want me to sell it to you as a manufacturer or do you want me to sell it on the black market and have someone you know exploit that a nation state or somebody else this is very valuable stuff if i can spy on a meeting or a ceo or something like that then you know that's that's valu that's valuable information and so you know i'm definitely on the side of the researchers and the hackers and um and i think it's it's just super super important like keeping it quiet not sharing this information uh, is is what they call it. What do they call it? They call it um, security through obscurity or something like that. And, and the idea is that if you don't know what's going on in our system, then then you can't hack it. Well, but guess what? That doesn't work. It's been proven over and over again. So release the bugs. No more free bugs. You know, pay the people for them. 
that's the right way to do it. And I think AV companies would actually benefit, you know, we talked about consolidation earlier. Community probably doesn't have any security vulnerabilities in their speakers, right? But let's say you have a big company or a big, uh, or a big uh, group of integrators, PSNI, that sort of thing. They could actually team together on their bug bounty programs to share that cost. You know, and so when someone does come with a vulnerability, not not just one person is paying for it, and then they can share that information between them. So uh, I'm really pushing for that. Um, I haven't seen anybody in the industry doing bug bounties that I know of. So, and it doesn't have to be the Facebook fifty thousand dollar check. I mean, it could be five hundred dollars. It could be, you know, something small. But um, just changing the attitude about it, I think, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned one thing that was really important before we had our, our last story here is is giving the companies time, right? Uh, you, you're, you're not you, 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 there's a, there is a difference between being paid for your work and, and a, a, a person should be paid for what they're worth, and, and this is work. Um, but there's also a, being responsible and giving the folks time to you know respond and to you know come up with a uh, a, a solution. Uh, one of the last um, oh the the uh, the vulnerability that was that was uh, discovered in the in the Barco ClickShare uh, earlier this right. year. Exactly what those researchers did. They they notified the companies um, in January, and they they have an outline, dude. And they they go by you know every single date and every single contact they had with all the companies involved in the responses they got. So, yep. All right, uh, guys. Last story here before we let you get out of here. Notre Dame has uh, developed a catalog of AV core standards. Uh, each core standard is specifically designed to transform spaces, quote unquote, such as conference rooms, classrooms, auditoriums, study spaces, and seminar rooms. Uh, Patrick, I want to start with you on this. Notre Dame is a huge campus, uh, right? Over 12,000 students. Um, iconic university here in the States. Does some, something like this for them to develop and to be able to hand to an integrator, does that help on not just the, on the RFP side, the, the request for proposal side, but also as they're developing new relationships with new integrators and developing new spaces? It's a must. I mean, we really learned the hard way that you can't have a large campus and just throw a bunch of different people at different areas and expect to have a similar experience when everything is done. It's just impossible. Uh, it's an absolute must. You, ha you have to have uh, standards. And I really think those standards work the best when it comes from the technology owner, when it comes from an owner's team who really understands the end customer and the vision and where they want to go. Um, yeah, it's just really important. Um, and that video that you sent over uh, was really well done. They mentioned one of the things I really liked about it, that they talked about flexibility in these different domains. So not just displays and room configurations, but also the furniture, which you know, really does affect where can I put a floor box if, if there's furniture, where can I install my microphones? So that was an interesting aspect. And, um, but the other part they talked about was that it has to work. And I would have loved to hear more about the support process because a standard really isn't just about how things work day to day, you know, where the buttons are, what features are available, things will go wrong. And what does that process look like? How are people informed? How are people brought into motion to fix things? And one of the things we've been looking at a lot lately is automated testing, which I think is a really interesting way to make sure it'll always work. You know, actually fire the system up in the middle of the night 
and uh, wait for the correct responses so that you know first thing in the morning um, if things are working or not. There you go. All right, Mr. Konikowski, same kind of question. Uh, are, are these standards helpful to have uh, created internally to an organization? I definitely think so. I'm a big fan of um, annual standards, whether it be uh, corporate or university, where you have a standard catalog of rooms that everyone has agreed to. And those, those designs basically fit about 80% of your rooms. 20% might need you know, more customization. And then each year you do some technology road mapping where you're looking at emerging technologies and sort of testing them out and then deciding if they go into next year's standards, into next year's catalog. Uh, so I believe in an annual refresh of those standards. Um, I, I, I agree with, uh, with what Patrick said about uh, how service is a big aspect of this. There was a great Avixa webinar this week. Uh, talking about uh, resource management systems and and the the value of the help button and how you know folks just like to and when they're in when they're in trouble either just having intercom to a, a help team or pushing a help button and someone can show up within five minutes that was their own the, the speaker's own guideline he said one time he got the the message and he showed up something like thirty seconds later because the room was like next door and um, and the instructor said wow. So every time I hit this button, you're just gonna show up within a minute. He's like, no, it's only because I was here. Um, you know, it, it just happened to be nearby when I got the text or whatever. But having uh, a good support staff, Joe Ways talked about this a lot. Having good on-prem people that can get there and fix the problem is a is a big part of it. And um, I applaud Notre Dame for doing this. I, I did some some university work when I was in the Bay Area for a very big school out there. And um, I was amazed that the different departments within the school, engineering versus business versus other areas, they all had their own standards. And I was sort of shocked that there wasn't a, a campus-wide standard. Like, and um, and what, what I was told was, well, that it's part of the university's competitive nature, that they wanted different groups sort of doing their own thing. And that way, there's this competitive learning atmosphere where, oh, look what they're doing. Maybe we can do it better. Uh, it really made it tricky to be an AV integrator or consultant because, you you know, you, you couldn't get it right. And even within one classroom, I remember I was designing a room, a distance learning classroom, and they were, they were bending towards individual professors. They literally wanted, you know, okay, this professor needs the touch panel to do this, but this other professor needs it to do that and it, and the professors just had major power there you know they're very smart folks and they think they know better than you um so it, it's a it's a tough it's one of the toughest groups i found to to work with because there's so many smart people um and and to get them to all agree that standards are better than doing it your own way um is is hard is a hard hard thing to do so I applaud Notre Dame for doing this. I think standards definitely increase scalability, reliability, service, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you'll find in a lot of those campuses is the different schools are funded different ways, like different the actual different schools inside each school. So the School of Business might be funded one way, the School of Medicine or, or, or Nursing, what have you, uh, is school uh, funded a different way. And so each of those have their own uh, standards, their own designs, and their own departments. Uh, I remember a, a buddy of mine that used to work for UCLA told me once they had that UCLA had over 100 IT departments, 
And I was still trying to wrap my brain around that. And then he explained, you know, the different buildings, the different schools and the different uh, campuses. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's I, I miss there are days that I absolutely miss working on, on the college campus. So, all right, gentlemen, there are that's going to be all the time we have for us. Mr. Patrick Murray. Uh, thank you, sir. How do people get a hold of you or catch technologies? Uh, best way to get in touch with me is over LinkedIn. Just search for Patrick Murray CTS. Um, you could also hit me up on the website, catchtechnologies.com. And of course, it would be great if you have a listen to the podcast, softwaredefinedsurvival.com. You should definitely listen to that. And especially if he gets Konikowski on, definitely listen to that one. We're working on uh, it. Mr. Konikowski, uh, thank you, sir. And I, I, I want to say this to Paul. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever said this to him, but Paul is one of the first people I ever connected with online on, on social media when it came to the AV industry. And I was a stupid young, you know, uh, technology manager uh, in nowhere, Illinois. And Paul's always been a great resource uh, the last eight, eight, nine years, for at least for me. Uh, so thank you, sir. Uh, and how do people get a hold of you if they're, if they're so inclined? Thanks, Tim. Uh, the best way to find me is to search PK Audiovisual on Google. Uh, that'll lead you to my Twitter, which is PK Audiovisual. It'll lead you to my LinkedIn profile, which is LinkedIn in PK Audiovisual. Uh, it'll find my, my blog site, pkaudiovisual.com. If you try to spell my name, you're, you're probably going to get it wrong. So it's a little easier to spell PK Audiovisual. All one word, you'll find me there. All right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on, on the Twitters. Um, I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm talking about UC and um, the Bears, honestly. Uh, but go by the website, if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, well, we ask that you check out our sponsor section, our supporters. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and State of Control. In about two months' time, CEDIA coverage. Yeah, that's what's happening. Uh, Infocom just behind us. CEDIA is right, right ahead of us. So, uh, Also, while you're there, we've got a new uh, webinar coming up in about two weeks on uh, control automation. How uh, APIs are helping that segment uh, flourish and, and, and evolve. So check all that out and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.